Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we dig into uh, your scriptures this morning, as we dig into um, what, what our works have to do with everything, Lord, um, we pray that you would uh, keep us humble. We pray, Lord, that you would help us come to a good, solid understanding um, of how you desire uh, to see us uh, live out our faith in Jesus Christ and how you desire to see us uh, be a witness to that same light to the world. So we pray this, um, that you would help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So joining Jesus on his mission, we continue today, and uh, in this series we've talked about the importance of mission and what that is, uh, that we get to live on mission as followers of Jesus, and it's really about everybody getting to participate in that, not just one or two people, not just the pastor, not just the staff, but the entire body of Christ gets to figure out what that looks like in your life and in your family. And we've talked about this incredible invitation that God gives us to abundant life, to experience life far more, far more than what we think maybe life should be, far more than what we could ever hope to experience apart from Jesus Christ. And we talked about understanding the complexities of our culture and how we respond to Jesus' invitation to join him on mission in a world that looks very different than it did 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. We talked about the river moving Um, And how we, as a people of God, uh, need to be open to the Holy Spirit to lead us so that we don't lose our voice in our community and in the world as the body of Christ. And so today we're continuing on this practical, um, how do we join and see and participate in Jesus' mission. And uh, a big chunk of this sermon was going to be the insert that you have in your bulletin. Uh, For the sake of you not having a 30-minute sermon, we have an insert in the bulletin. Uh, And so I'm going to give you a couple minutes at the end of the message to read through this and to prayerfully consider what is on it. But leading up to this point, um, I felt a desire and a need, felt like the Holy Spirit was leading our conversation today more to have a conversation of what biblically it looks like to do works. Doing good works is one of those things that the Lutheran Church uh, does, but we, we get uncomfortable talking about it for many different reasons. So there's this biblical precedent that we would be doing good and not doing evil. One of the tensions in the Lutheran Church that the Lutheran Church has wrestled with over the years is this idea of good works. And and I would say nobody who has dug into and adopted this sort of Lutheran lens or understanding, you don't have to call it a Lutheran lens, hopefully it's a biblical lens and a biblical understanding, nobody who has adopted that would argue that good works can somehow save us. So that's not what we're talking about. But we often still, because we hear the word good works, we hear that phrase, we get anxious when we start talking about the importance of good works, human effort, and the idea that we respond to God's invitation. So one of the issues is we confuse the conversation about salvation, how we are saved, with the conversation about what we do with that salvation. And the Bible clearly teaches that God makes the way for us to be saved. He is the one that makes it possible. We cannot save ourselves. It's an ongoing theme in this sermon series. You can't do it, right? We just can't do it. There is nothing more Christian than believing that by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved. That is a salvation theology. Now what are we going to do with it? That's the conversation we are having in joining Jesus with our mission. Looking at what we do now, what do we do with our salvation, having experienced the great riches of God's grace. 
And knowing that we do not do things to earn God's grace or God's favor, but that we do things to live a life that God has for us in Christ rather than living any other life that we could choose for ourselves or that the world would demand from us. So biblically, if we're talking about joining Jesus on his mission, we should understand the Bible's precedent for looking for and engaging in good rather than engaging in evil or refusing to do the good that God has called us to do. So I want to work through our scripture passages that we heard just a few minutes ago. So first off, we have our Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 passage. This was um, part of our series a few weeks back, so I'm not going to dig super deeply into this one, uh, and I'll touch on it lightly. But for our conversations today, here's what we are invited to take away from our Ephesians passage. Through Christ, we find that we are made alive even though we were dead in our transgressions. Now, to me, that is encouraging. Christ saves us from our sin even when we are still in it. There again is proof that we cannot get holy enough for God to save us or get holy enough or righteous enough for God to love us. He breaks into our brokenness. He breaks into our shortcomings and our sins and all of the ways that we miss the mark. God comes there, right in the mess, and saves us, because his grace and his mercy is that good. He doesn't need us to become holy before he can work in our lives. So this is the gospel this morning, right? This is the gospel. Christ saves you even in the midst of your struggles, even in the midst of your imperfections, even in the midst of your sins. This is where God meets us. Jesus saves us by grace through faith, and this is nothing that we do, but it is what God does that makes that real for us. And our Ephesians passage reminds us of this too, which we touched on recently. We are God's handiwork, created to do God's work through Christ Jesus. So we weren't created to sit on a shelf. We weren't created like a vase that just sits on a shelf and you look at it and you, you use it. And God wants to use us, not in a way that we might think of being used as a negative thing in our culture, but in a way that God using us and working in us and through us is actually going to help us achieve a potential and an abundant life that we can't have if we're not letting God do work in us and through us. So being God's handiwork, created to do God's work through Christ, let's recognize some of the things that we do might need to stop because they're not helpful and they're not going to lead us into the kingdom of God. They separate us from God. They distract us from God. And all of our lives have things like that. All of our lives. But God's grace is big, and God's grace can overcome those things. You are God's handiwork. That is your identity. You are a beloved child of God. So let's dig into our other two passages a little bit more. So for this one, I'm going to invite you to pull out the pew Bible in front of you, Psalm 37, 1 through 9. And it's going to be on page 874 of your pew Bible. Psalm 37, 1 through 9. It starts like this. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the green plants, they will soon die away. Interesting way to start a psalm, right? What happens to those doing evil? I don't want to be one of those people withering away, do you? And often we, we, in our culture, we envy those people. We put some of those people on a pedestal. 
We worship many people in our culture because sometimes their evil gains them fame or power, money or other worldly things. And be careful of that. It's so easy to do. I think David here who penned this psalm, King David, would agree that you shouldn't go that way. You shouldn't go that way. There is a better way. And so let's continue in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's that abundant life. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. So trust in the Lord and do good. There is another way. There is another way than doing evil or fretting because of those doing evil. There's another way than withering. That doesn't have to be our way. This is what we were created for, this path of trusting in the Lord and doing good. And how do we do that? Well, David says, we dwell in his pasture. It's like the Psalm 23 that we hear often in funerals. Um, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. God leads us into an environment, into a place, into a state of being, um, in the depths of our soul where uh, we find all that we need in the presence of the Lord in his pasture. And we do it as we delight in God's presence in our lives and in this world. That's called worship. So every single way that we worship, whether we worship by taking care of our families or worship in song, worship by giving with our time, uh, with our resources, any different way that we worship, we're in that pasture. We're enjoying the presence of the Lord and we're operating in that way that God has created us to operate. And we do that by committing ourselves to God's ways, which means if we're going to commit ourselves to God's ways, we're going to be two things. We're going to be both willing to actually learn them, which means we're going to pick up a Bible and we're going to study God's ways and we're going to talk about it as a community and as a church and as a family. We're going to learn God's ways. And then the second thing, which is even harder, willing to change to become more like them. Trusting in the Lord and doing good. This is our path. This is what we were created for. So let's be willing to learn God's ways and let's be willing to change so that our lives may become more like God's ways. Verse seven. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Again, we have this clear picture painted for us from King David. And my hope this morning is that we can take away an agreement that as Christians we should be doing the good and not doing the evil. We should be praising and affirming the good and not praising and affirming the evil that happens in the world around us or in our own lives. And I might go so far as to say that doing nothing with your faith is not a good thing, right? Doing nothing with your faith is not a good thing. Be still before the Lord, this says. Be still. Seek the Lord and seek first his kingdom. Another theme that's been present in this series. Seek first 
His kingdom and all the things that we worry about are going to be given unto us. God has promised to take care of us and lead us into abundant life. And one other note um, here that I realize more as I read the last part of this psalm and the beginning of this psalm, there's a lot of encouragement not to fret, not to grow weary when we see evil happening, when we see people doing evil things. Um, That's hard. It's hard for us not to get discouraged. It's hard for us not to get offended by those evil things. Um, and we may even do a sermon series down the road. We heard a really, some really good conversations at our uh, conference up uh, in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago about uh, the, the way that Christians easily get offended by things, right? Um, right here, King David himself says, don't fret when evil people succeed in their evil ways. Refrain from anger. Refrain from being offended because it's going to lead to evil. And we don't want to go down that path, do we? So something to think about that I think we'll circle back to maybe in the new year. Let's move on to our James passage. James chapter 2, 14 through 18. That's going to be on page 1,882 in your pew Bible. And if any of you know a little bit of history about Martin Luther, who kind of was a catalyst for the Reformation, he didn't like the book of James that much uh, because it talks a lot about good works and it holds that tension then between by grace we are saved, yet these works are somehow evidence to our faith. And so we're going to dig into this passage, particularly one of those that Martin Luther himself wasn't a big fan of. Not not that he was going to reject it from Scripture, but I think he struggled with it, right? Like we often struggle and are challenged by Scripture. So James 2, 14 through 18 What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So this is important. This is an important piece of our conversation as we join Jesus on his mission. And James, I think, uses this here to illustrate one of the most easy-to-understand ways um, that we can engage in doing good in the world around us, not just with prayers and good wishes, but actually by being part of the answer to those prayers and meeting the needs of the people around us. And and Christian churches tend to do pretty good with this, I think, meeting the needs of, of the poor and the sick, and those who are hungry, I think that's fine. As organizations, we do good with that. As institutions, we do good with that. But what about our own lives? What about as followers of Jesus in our own lives, in our own neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our families? Are we living that out on a personal level and on an individual level? Are we being an answer to the prayers that we lift up by letting God work through us in that way? Are we acting like we say we believe? As the saying goes, are we putting our money where our mouth is, right? Or any resource? Are we putting our time where our mouth is, where our faith is? Are we putting our materials where our faith is? Something to think about. Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, 
for the Lutheran, for anybody with faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible clearly shows us that our good deeds are one of the main things that give evidence to our faith. People see that our lives look differently, that we act differently, that we prioritize things differently because of our faith. And it's a faith that is real enough and it is powerful enough to live for and to act on, to put our lives into wholeheartedly. This is the faith in Jesus we're talking about. And so this is one of those areas where Christianity in the Western world and in the United States, this is one of those areas where we've really surrendered ground to the enemy over the last hundred years or more. And we're not the first ones to do it and we won't be the last. But here's what I mean by that. Somehow, somehow in this country, and I, and I know this through personal experience, I know this through my own family members, I know this through what I've heard in and through churches in the last six or seven years being a pastor. At some point, we began to believe and we began to tell our friends and our family that faith is just a private thing. And we began to tell them that faith is just a personal thing and that we shouldn't talk about God and we shouldn't talk about those things. We began to choose to be offended at every little thing that the world does against the church or against Christians rather than demonstrate grace and peace and righteousness. And we've begun to live in a way that hides our lights under a basket rather than letting them shine as God intends us. And when we live that way, when our lives take on those beliefs and those meanings that faith is private and it's personal and we shouldn't talk about it and we should be offended if somebody says something about a church over here that we like, we should just be offended. When we live that way, when we adopt those beliefs, we are right where the enemy wants us because we're not gonna be effective. We're not gonna shine our light. We're not gonna join Jesus on his mission. We've put up walls that get us out of doing that and that is not the life that God has for us. Was not Jesus' life very much a public thing? How else would we know of his teachings, of his miracles, of the power of God and the grace of God? Was not his death on the cross a very much public thing? Were his followers, were they able to see what he believed by what he did publicly? Yes. Why would we have a different expectation as Jesus' followers? And did Jesus keep all of his beliefs about the Heavenly Father to himself? No. The answer is no. He didn't. And did his followers, did they abstain from talking about Jesus in public? And did they abstain from looking after widows and the poor? Did they abstain from doing good things? Did they give all of that up when Jesus left the earth? The answer to that, again, is no. Absolutely not. And so we need to be honest. This is a place where Christians can do better. Not because doing better merits us salvation, but because it lives into the abundant life God has right here waiting for us. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to flow in us and through us because that is what we were created for. And we need to demonstrate our big God and his big grace by living, by speaking, by acting with a faith that is consistent with what the Bible teaches and witnesses to the world around us with the love of Christ. And if that sounds hard, 
I get it. It's hard for me too sometimes. Let me let you in on a little vulnerable Pastor Andrew secret. This right here is easy for me because you all chose to be here today. You're on my turf. No, you're on your turf. It's your church. But you know what I mean, right? You all came here expecting to hear about faith in Jesus Christ and, and me speak on the Bible and what the Bible says about that. That's a regular occurrence in a church, right? But if you asked me to do that randomly with somebody at Sam's Club or Walmart that the Holy Spirit might be prompting me to talk to, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. I'm wired a little differently. And if living, if living this way, acting, acting with a faith that is consistent with, the, with what the Bible teaches and witnessing to the world around us, if that sounds scary, I think it sounds scary sometimes, I get that, it's often scary for me too. But here's some what ifs. Here's some what ifs that I think help paint a picture here. Let's take Billy Graham, for example. What if Billy Graham, who had a deep and profound experience with the gospel, what if Billy Graham decided that the gospel wasn't for the public? We wouldn't know who Billy Graham was, but more so thousands of people wouldn't know who Jesus was. What if he was afraid of offending people with the gospel? I think, I think it'd look a little different. Now, next week we are marking the reformation of the church, right? What if Martin Luther didn't choose the hard path that honored Jesus Christ in the scriptures? Well, we wouldn't be in a Lutheran church today, would we? Where would we be today? And those are two obvious examples, but on a more personal level in my life, where would I be without a, gospel, without a pastor in the first 10 years of my life who unashamedly preach the gospel every week. Where would I be? The more I preach, the more I live into this calling to be a pastor, the more my mind goes back to those 10 years, right? Because even as an elementary school kid, I heard the gospel, and it's still doing work in my life. So where would I be without that pastor? Or, or another pastor at a church in Waverly um, when I was at Wartburg College, if he hadn't taken the time, along with his church and many other leaders from that church, they hadn't taken the time to pray for me, to lay hands on me, to speak truth into my life. Where would I be without that? Where would I be without the dozens of friends, professors, teachers, colleagues, and sometimes even strangers who did good for me, who did good to me, and who did good in a way that I could see it and be challenged by it and learn to do good as well? Friends, abundant life in Christ is not found by hiding under the bushel. I don't remember where it was, um, but I remember somebody adapted that song a little bit. Hide it under a bushel. Are you crazy? And that's what we as kids got to yell. We, we don't want to do that. Because when we are faced with the incredible grace of God and his love, why on earth would we hide that? Why on earth would we hide it under a bushel? It might be hard, it might be scary, and it might be easy to hide it under a bushel, but the abundant life in Christ is found in the opposite of hiding the light of Christ. And that means that we join Jesus in his mission. We seek the kingdom of God at every turn, 
at every moment. And we're actually willing to do the stuff we say we have faith to do. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again this morning, Lord, we find ourselves confronted um, with challenges. We find ourselves confronted with um, things that we just struggle with sometimes, Lord. Uh, but you are the God um, who conquers struggles and challenges in our lives. You are the God who promises to grow us, to lead us into abundant life. And so this morning, God, wherever we are at, I pray, Lord, you would meet us there, right in the mess, right in the sin, right in the struggle. And Lord, you would breathe life into us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you help us, Lord, to better know what you desire from us, to better know the way of Jesus and to better follow it in our lives. So Lord, give us courage. Continue to give us your incredible grace. We pray this in Jesus' name.